0: So, today is Palm Sunday, and so I just kind of want to recap what we've been doing so far throughout Lent. We have been walking through Jesus' seven sayings on the cross. We have seen some of the early sayings talking about forgiveness, forgiveness in action through salvation. We've seen Jesus take care of earthly needs of people through his mother. We've seen Jesus have, you know, what is the kind of pinnacle moment, the moment that everything built toward in his abandonment and ultimately taking that punishment, the wrath of God. And then last week we started to see the beginning of the wrap-up. Jesus being thirsty. Jesus asking for water. Jesus kind of starting to bring everything to a close. And so we're going to continue that slow decline this week, the wrapping up, the denouement, whatever you want to call it, that's what we're going to kind of continue this week is finishing up this crucifixion story. And so last week, Jesus asked for a drink, says, I'm thirsty. Gets this drink, and we're going to pick up immediately, next verse, right after that. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, this is three words, right? It is finished. And there's a lot in here for us to kind of unpack and think about and just what do these three words represent? And I think first off, just quick poll, how, how would you take these words, just the generic character, the generic attitude? How, how do these three words come off to you? Sad, happy, triumphant. What, how have you seen these words displayed in movies or just when you read it, what, what impression do you get when, when you hear, it is finished? Anyone? all of them, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them wrapped in there, yeah. Relief, that's a huge part of it, yeah, yeah. Relief, and I think triumph, are the two kind of in there, like, the sadness it's over, but ultimately, that relief, that triumph, that we did it. It's over. You know, it is ultimately a cry of celebration, a if you're an athlete, when you, like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm a runner, so when you finish a race, when you're, or when you're pushing that last few meters to finish, just that guttural scream that you let out sometimes, just that, ah, that excitement, that's kind of what this is, that just sheer, oh, it's over. It, I've done it, we've done it. So, what is the it? It is finished what is this it that Jesus is talking about here? Ultimately, it's this final act of redemption. It's the final sacrifice. All the sacrifices leading up, the whole sacrificial system, all of that, all of those laws were leading up to this, the final sacrifice. It's the balancing. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how really the entire need for this started with Adam and Eve, and how that threw things out of balance, that threw the idea of we could no longer be with God into fray. So now, how does God deal with this? Because God is infinitely, perfectly just, but also amazingly merciful. So how do those two balance out when regards to sin and us? This is how, through Jesus. So it is in some ways, is that cosmic balance. The everything's even now. We can now have communion with God. We can now be with God. We can now have this relationship, this communion. The it, in some ways, is Satan being finished. A deceiver. Because all of this started with Satan back in Eden, right? That initial lie that brought sin. The introduction of sin. That plan that Satan laid to throw things out of balance. That plan is now finished. That plan is now done. Everything is finally fixed. That's the it. There's a lot wrapped up in those two little words, right? There's a lot there. And now what is the finished? What does he mean by it is finished? Some Bibles will say accomplished. Um, lots of different translations. There's a lot of really good words that kind of get the same thing here. Basically, it's finished forever. It is whole. It is complete. It is 100% accomplished. There is nothing more that we need to do. Jesus, God have done everything. Nothing more is required of us. I think what do I have here? Oh, I missed some pictures, so there's pictures talking about Satan, there you go. Um, so I think a lot of times we have a very hard time understanding that idea of, it, it's done. We, there's nothing more we, we have to do. There's nothing else we can do. We, we don't like that idea, because we're like, no, there, there, I, there has to be something I have to do, I have to earn this, I have to do this, And so a lot of times we'll create these kind of systems around it. Even, like, the idea of baptism. Baptism is not needed for salvation, right? If you are not baptized, that's not an automatic, you're not going to heaven. But a lot of times we have that thought in our head. There's a, you know, a lot of denominations have that, of, you know, the idea of the unbaptized. It's, well, Jesus said it is finished, but we need to add one more step to the process. We have to do something above and beyond what Jesus did. No, oh, baptism is important. I'm not saying don't get baptized, obviously. Like, it is a big communion coming together. It is a big reflection. It is a big opening up and receiving that blessing. But it's not a check mark in going to heaven, in getting salvation. Another idea is like the idea of purgatory that idea of, well, I need to pay for sins I've done. What Jesus did, even though He said it is finished, that wasn't enough. I have to earn it now. I have to do this work. We don't. Because it is finished. It is nothing else we need to do. There's nothing else we can do. Jesus did it. It's done. And it's done to the point that it cannot be undone. How amazing is that? It's something that can't be undone. Satan cannot take this away. Evil may try. Satan may try to convince us it's something that can be taken away. Might tell us, well, you're too bad for that. You know, Jesus died for good people. You're not a good person. Those kind of things. Those similar lies. The same lie told back in Eden, right? Because the idea, back in Eden, Satan told Adam and Eve, God's lying to you. God's hiding things from you. God didn't tell you the whole story. That's a very similar thing to what Satan does now. Well, this salvation, you're not good enough for it. God's kind of hiding this this from you. Or, well, you technically have to do this and this to earn it. It's the same lie. God is lying to you. God is hiding things from you. That's the lie Satan tells over and over again. But he can't. Because it is finished. The work is done. Satan can do nothing to undo it. I think that is just absolutely amazing. This point here that we're at, we've talked about in the last couple weeks, this is really the climax, the peak of the biblical story. You know, I found this great plot chart, so it's kind of, it falls apart toward the end, but we can kind of walk through a little bit. So we have, you know, the beginning, the exposition, You know, that's the early Genesis, your creation stories, that kind of stuff. It's kind of setting the stage for everything. And then, do do I have my pointer? Oh, I do. And then we have, you know, our conflict, which starts with Satan, the great deceiver. The Satan comes in. I should have put that picture here of the snake, but that's where this comes in. And that's where sin is introduced. That's our main conflict. How do we balance God, sin, and us? Since so getting in the way, that's not, you know, that balance is not going to work. So that's just a rising conflict. And we get kind of foreshadowing way back in Genesis of what's coming, of Jesus, of this sacrificial system that ultimately is coming to a head with Jesus. And so the rest of the story, building up through the Old Testament and even setting up into the early Gospels, it's about setting the stage, putting the exact things in place for Jesus for this moment. The climax is what we're reading about now. The crucifixion. And really the climax is the crucifixion and resurrection, like those couple days together. That is the absolute climax of our story. Everything prior to this is looking forward to it. And then we have our back half, kind of our our descending action. What is that? That's our epistles, the letters, those kind of things. And those are really reflecting back on this climax, on Jesus. Their stories are telling people about this story, telling people about this sacrifice. And the end of the resolution is kind of where things fall apart because we have kind of a, a second peak, you know, with the coming of Jesus and that kind of stuff. So it falls apart there a little bit, but you can kind of see the idea that two-thirds of our Bibles is looking forward to this moment. And and most of, of the latter two-thirds is looking back. Telling people about this moment. That is why this week, Holy Week, is so special for a lot of people. Because this is what everything is about. This is what the entire biblical story is pointing toward. This moment. This moment in time. This moment that is in us. And so it's not an accident that we're talking about this phrase, it is finished, on Palm Sunday despite what it may look like. We do plan things out a little bit here, so we are talking about this on this day because this is Jesus' cry of triumph. It is finished. We're talking about that triumphant cry on the day that the church sets aside to remember Jesus' triumphal entry into the city, into the city of Jerusalem. We just read about that. Here's kind of the, the text, part of the text we read earlier. Jesus coming into the city. And one thing that I love about this text, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This word Hosanna, it is an interesting word. Lauren talked a little bit about it earlier. It has this kind of weird double meaning. It is what we call a transliteration of a word. Hosanna is just a straight Hebrew word. That they didn't translate into Greek or English or any other language when it gets translated. They just took the sounds, translated it directly over. So, Hosanna. No, where's my pointer? Oh, oh no. All oh, that went way too fast. All right, Hosanna. Hebrew, you read opposite way. So, Hosanna. So, what do we have going on here? So, first part of it, the Hosha. This is a verb, a Hebrew verb, basically means save. Its root is jisha, means save. In this form, when you add what amounts to the H-O on the front, it means save me, save me. The second half, this na is the most magical of Hebrew words, please. This is the particle please. So we have, save me please, please. Save me, it is this very deep cry. But what is fascinating is by this time, when people use this phrase, it doesn't, they're not really meaning it in exactly the please save me way. It has become a moniker for the hope of a messiah, for the hope of the messiah. It's become kind of the catchphrase of the messiah. The closest I could think of, and I don't know if this is a great analogy, is um, sporting events. If you have a team that is making a deep playoff run or something, a lot of times you'll get a phrase, a catchphrase that is supposed to be synonymous with this team, right? Am I, is Seattle the only town that does that? Or do okay, good. <laughs> Where you get this idea of like, this is our phrase, this is our rallying cry for this particular group, this particular team this season. That's kind of this for the coming Messiah. it's this. this is our kind of code word, rallying cry, our hope for this coming Messiah. And so the people say this to Jesus because they think he is this Messiah. They think he's the one that's coming to save them. They think he's coming to save them from the oppression of Rome, from the political oppression they're under, the military oppression they're under, you know, pushing them to the outskirts of society, pushing them to the fringes of society. That's what they think Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming to save them from. Jesus saves them from something slightly different, slightly bigger. Jesus does come to save them from oppression. It's just not the direct oppression of Rome that they were hoping for. It's a much bigger oppression. The oppression from sin. The oppression from Satan. The ultimate large-scale eternal oppression that's what jesus came to save and deliver them from that wasn't wasn't the deliverance they were necessarily asking for or hoping for but it was the deliverance they needed and they needed that came to a head at this moment on the cross so all of that is going into this it is finished this moment of triumph that the people had anticipated, seeing Jesus coming into the city, throwing coats on the ground, throwing the palm fronds on the ground. Oh, there's a whole bunch of symbolism there. We don't have time to get into. But all of this anticipation, all of this triumph that is in the air, this is how it came to a head. This is how it ultimately was fulfilled. In this moment, it is finished. As I was kind of mulling this over, I thought, of an interesting the people on Palm Sunday the, you know the crowds that were cheering you know, anticipating this hope having this triumphant aura this environment of just all oh, excitement around them how many of them were there to actually see the triumph actually happen what they were so excited what they had waited their whole lives for did they see it we don't have any, all we really know is we have the four women we talked about and John are the ones that saw this moment. And we don't even know if they fully understood what this moment was until later. I don't know, to me, that was just this, I thought about this way too much, this this idea of they were so eager and excited for this moment. This was everything to them. And did you see it when it happened? Did you completely miss it? Because that wasn't exactly what you were looking for. The triumph was so much bigger than what you could have hoped. And so you didn't even notice it when it happened. All right, so what does this mean for us today? This is triumph, this triumphal cry echo for us all these years later. Well, this triumph is still true, right? It is just as true today as it was when Jesus uttered those words. This is a triumph that we can still hold on to every day. Remember, because it is finished. It is finished forever. This triumph is ours every single day. We will never have to do anything new to get it, because it is finished, complete. And, And I know I keep coming back to it, but it's such a hard thing for us to understand a lot of the times. I was even trying to think of what are things we do in this life that are ever fully, completely finished. I had a really hard time. First I thought, well, like school, like when you finish up that, you're done. I've told myself I was done with school multiple times. You end up going back, or well, that's a, even if it's not an official school, or, well, that's a cool online class, or that's a cool master class I want to learn, or this is a kind of a, a cool book I want to learn something in. Constantly kind of learning. I thought about driving maybe. Like, once you take your drive test, you, you're done, right? Like, you don't have to redo it a lot of times. But you're always having to learn new things and readjust your driving a little bit. Another the example I thought of was growing up in Washington, the HOV lanes, the carpool lanes. You know, you've had two, some of them were three people, you could drive in them. You could come in and out of them whenever you wanted. I thought that was normal. We moved to Los Angeles, that is not normal. Over there, there are small sections where you can come in and out, and then five, six, seven miles, where it's double yellow, you, you, you can't come out of them. You get a big ticket if you come out of them. First couple times, we missed a lot of exits, because you know, you're know you in. You're like, oh, my exit's coming up in two miles. I should start getting over, oh, the the last spot for me to get out was two miles ago. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna half hour late, because I gotta go around, swing back around, come in, and all of that. So today, you're constantly learning, having to relearn things, continue to grow. I could not really think of anything that is not something you have to redo, relearn. Like Christina and I recently got tickets to Six Flags, because I love amusement parks. We've got, we got an annual pass. That doesn't let us into Six Flags forever. That'd be awesome if it did, but you have to redo it. Renew it every year, redo it. This is not a renewable membership. This is something that is forever. It is finished, complete, for all time. So every morning when we get up, that triumphant cry of Jesus is true. Every single morning, that cry, that triumph, that victory, is true in our lives for each and every one of us. That should bring us so much peace, right? That just that triumph that Jesus felt and felt for us is with us every day. We cannot lose it. It cannot be stripped away from us. It is freely given just out of love, just because God loves us. And so this should be something that we want to tell people, that should inspire us to tell other people about this right? This this peace we have, this hope, it should make us want to tell everything. And that's why the majority of the rest of the New Testament is just that. It's stories of people telling about this hope that was culminated with the it is finished. It's stories, oh finally it went off, good. It's stories of people telling about that, their adventures there, but the base underlying theme is we have to tell everyone about this moment and what it means for us, what it represents for us and God. And I, I was trying to think of like what are some things that when we find out about and we just have to tell. And I thought of a really nerdy one, so, but but we're gonna do it anyway. And I might be giving away just how old I am, because I just had my birthday last week and I'm officially in the back half of my 30s, and I don't like that one bit. That nope, 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 nope. But how many people some my older gamers, I don't know, know what the Konami cheat code is. Anyone, not a single hand. Okay, excellent, I can explain the, con- the Konami cheat code. So um, video games, in the early days of video games, were made exceptionally hard and difficult because the cartridges weren't very big, so you had like five levels. These five levels have to last four or five months on this game because there's not a lot of games coming out, so people want to get their money's worth. So they were made insanely difficult. It was basically, you have to memorize the patterns of everything to get through these games. Konami is a company that notoriously made very, very difficult games. To the point that they realized, oh no, some of our games, they might be unwinnable. Because when you die, you start back at the first level, and you kind of have to go through it again. When you lose all your lives, you start back at the first level. And they're like, I think we've made this game too hard. So they added in, go for it. Konami cheat code. If you enter this at the beginning of the game, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start, select, you got infinite lives. And now this changed things for people. This means, oh, I could could potentially beat this game. And video game news came out um, in magazines. Most of them came out maybe once a month, but more than likely once a quarter. And so that's how most people got their kind of news on video games. This went so fast, by the time it was published in the magazines, everyone already knew about it. It was old news. Because people were so excited to share this, like, I finally figured out how to beat this game. And so it spread um, ridiculously fast. Everyone was telling everyone they knew about this. About, I figured out how to win this game, and I want to tell you. Now that is a really dumb example, I know, but think about that. People were that excited about, I figured out how to win a game, so I want to tell everyone about it. Think about how much more the game we have to win, that we have figured out how to win. Eternity. That's the excitement we should be sharing. We should be sharing that with the same excitement people did this. Telling everyone about it. And so that's why we really are really striving to be a missional church. Oh, I brought it back. Yeah, you thought I was done with these. No, I brought it back. That's why we're striving to be a missional church. To tell people about this. We have the cheat code for eternity. We need to tell, talk about it. Great environments we're talking about. It. Remember, these are some of the things we talked about, praying for people. Praying for people by name. Three people, every day. How's that going? Yeah? See some nodding of heads? Yeah, yeah, yeah? That's so important for us to doing. Be praying for people by name. The second thing we talked about was creating environments for growth. Creating environments for conversations. Environments for building relationships. We call them parties, but you know, they could be whatever fits you. Creating those moments. For relationships to grow. Creating those moments for conversations to happen, right? How are those going? Yeah? They're, yeah? And get, they can be completely tailored to you. Because what I think is fun is probably not gonna be the same thing you think is fun. So find those environments that work for you and the people you're trying to talk to. And the last thing we talked about was these conversations. You remember the, the gear shift we had, right? The conversational gear shift. So let's see if I can remember. It was casual conversations to deeper conversations, to spiritual conversations, to salvation conversations, and that went on from there, but those first four were the ones that we really focused on. We talked about being attuned to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit for moments when we could bump up, one notch. One gear, one conversational gear. How is that going? How have we thought about those? our conversations. I know for me, when I you know, like, talk with people, like, I almost see like, the gear shift above their head. I'm like, all right, when is this? Nope, nope, not good, not this. Just kind of be thinking about those conversations. They can be so meaningful. And again, like I said in that series, don't be weird about it. Don't be weird. <laughs> a lot of times we, we get awkward and weird about it. Have it come from you. Have it come from your personality. But that's why we do so much of this. That's why we're striving to make these a part of our regular patterns. Because of that triumphant joy, that triumphant hope that comes in this moment that we read about. It is finished. It, the salvation, everything is encompassed in that is finished forever, complete forever, and given to us. Given to us with no strings attached. We don't have to jump through hoops to get it. It is given just out of pure love. And that is the excitement we want to be sharing. And this week is a great week to do that. It's Holy Week. It's a wonderful time to be attuned to just thinking, seeing, noticing. How can I share this love? And it could just be praying for someone. It could be something small like that. I would encourage you this week. Just think about that. How can I share this story, this love with someone this week? Very small. Start small. Start with something manageable for you. How can I share this story? How can I show this love this week? That's something we can do? Excellent. So I hope to see you all on Friday in Velasquez Park for a good Friday and then back here next Sunday for Easter. I'm really excited. Got some good stuff planned. So if I invite our worship team back up here, I will close us out in prayer.